Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the assignment for February 24th through March 1st, 2 Nephi 26 through 30, A Marvelous Work and a Wonder, and it's all about the Book of Mormon today. And I want to give a special shout out and welcome to any of you who are new listeners who may have heard me on the Latter Day Lives podcast. Um, They did an interview on February 3rd. They released it. So if you haven't heard that interview, if you're one of my longtime listeners and you haven't heard the interview on Latter Day Lives, I definitely recommend that you go check it out. It was a lot of fun to do. Sean is just an amazing podcast host, and he's an amazing interviewer. So um, go listen to that interview. It's fun. And if you have listened to the interview and you're here because of it, welcome. We are glad you are here. So we're going to get started. But first, I do want to give a shout out to somebody who wrote me this week. They wrote me an email. Emily Pitts wrote me this week an email about my Christmas episode. And, you know, in the Christmas episode, I was talking about the council in heaven before we came to this earth. And I talked about, you know, there was Satan's plan. And then on the other hand, and I made a comment that there was Jesus's plan. And Emily corrected me and she said, no, it wasn't Jesus's plan. It was Heavenly's Father's plan. And Satan came up with an alternative plan. And the Savior wanted to fulfill his Father's plan as he presented it. And she is absolutely correct. Um, Guys, I promise I am not perfect. I'm not a gospel scholar by any stretch of the imagination. I get stuff wrong, like constantly. Um, I'm sure some of you have probably picked that up by now. And so when I do get something wrong, I like to correct it. And so Emily is absolutely correct. It was our Heavenly Father's plan and Jesus was fulfilling it um, by his own free will and choice. And so I did want to put that out there. All right. So jumping on in to come follow me this week. So we're looking here at the introduction and it's talking about how Nephi saw the last days. And he says, I prophesy unto you concerning the last days. He's writing about our day. Now there's some reasons to be concerned with what he saw. He saw people denying the power and the miracles of God. He saw rampant envy and strife, the devil binding people with strong cords. And in addition to all these latter-day works of darkness, Nephi himself also spoke of a marvelous work and a wonder, though, that would kind of come as opposition to the works of darkness, right? And this marvelous work and a wonder would be led by the Lord himself. And at the center of that work would be a book, a book that speaks from the dust, that exposes Satan's lies, and gathers the righteous like a standard. What book could that be? I wonder. Um, That book is the Book of Mormon. We know that. And that marvelous work is the work of the Lord's church in the latter days. And the wonder is that he invites all of us, in spite of our weaknesses, to participate in that work. So that's a really pretty cool introduction um, because I did see when we went in and we started reading this week, I saw a lot of Nephi talking about the different ways that we as a latter-day people will fall. 
and the different flaws that we have as Latter-day people and the different ways that Satan tempts us and the adversary tries to bind us. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that those latter days, they sound bad news. Like they sound like not a time I want to live in. And then I'm like, but wait, I am living in those. And then it talks about the Book of Mormon. And I'm like, okay, well, there's good, great good here in the midst of all like the crazy, dangerous spiritual stuff that's going on, too, at the same time. So it's kind of an interesting dichotomy, I guess, for me as I was reading along this week. Okay, the first section, Jesus Christ invites all to come unto him. And it talks about how the prophet Joseph Smith taught that a heavenly father is more boundless in mercies and blessings than we are ready to believe or receive. And I absolutely believe that. I think a lot of times we imagine a very stern God um, who's kind of looking down at us and like shaking his finger. And I definitely believe that we need to be obedient. And I definitely believe that God gives us laws and that we need to follow those laws. But at the same time, I think our Heavenly Father loves us so much and He believes in us so much more than we believe in ourselves that if we were able to really understand Him and understand the way He cares and loves for us, I think it would just blow our minds to the point that I think our behaviors would entirely change um, and our focus in our lives would completely change. So as we come closer to our Heavenly Father, I believe our lives fall more and more in line with what he wants because we start to sense that love that he has for us. Mercies and blessings much more than we are ready to believe or receive. I love that phrase. That's that's gorgeous. All right. So going on with Come Follow Me. Read what Nephi foresaw in 2 Nephi 26, 20 through 22, and what he taught about the Savior in verses 23 through 33. So if we go to 2 Nephi 20 through 22, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about pride, which if I had to pick one sin, that pretty much exemplified our day and age, pride would probably be it. Um, Sexual immorality is is pretty high up there, but I think there are people who maybe are not sexually immoral but still struggle with pride. I think every single one of us struggles with pride at some point in our lives. I know I do. Pride is a big thing, I think, that will get a lot of us. You know, I even remember reading in the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, you know, you have kind of like a wise older demon is kind of teaching a younger demon how to tempt, you know, human beings. And so you kind of learn from C.S. Lewis's writings, like the different ways that the adversary tries to entrap us, right? And one of the quotes from the Screwtape Letters that has always stuck with me, it says, your patient or the person that the demon is trying to tempt has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to this fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Which is so interesting to me that when you start thinking about humility and like, yeah, I really am pretty humble. Automatically, you are committing the sin of pride. I'm like, oh, that is kind of a catch-22 there. Like, good job. And so um, that just made me think of the screw tape letters when I was reading that. When I read all these different verses about pride, like in Nephi 26, 20, it says, And the Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes and have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block. You know, when I think about pride, I immediately think about people who are living in giant houses with big flashy cars and like, I'm better than you. But pride is so much more subtle than that. You know, one of the ways I think that it manifests itself, I see a lot is on social media. Um, On social media or just on the internet in general, everyone has an opinion and everyone thinks they're right. And that can, sometimes they are right. Sometimes they're not right. Sometimes it leads to arguing and there's pride there in the arguing that goes back and forth. Y'all know I'm a fan of the Sisters in Zion. Um, I love their podcast. I love their Facebook posts. They're always so funny to me. 
And this week they posted something about Mitt Romney. I'm not even going to go into politics. Like, I don't even want to touch that. And they had some particular thoughts on Mitt Romney's speech this this past week. And, of course, it ignited like a firestorm. And they said it was funny because they were like, who would have thought an article about a white guy would get this much like controversy going on our page when we talk about all kinds of other issues with race? But all of a sudden, you guys are like all upset about Mitt Romney? Like, really? And they had this quote. Zandra, one of the sisters in Zion, said this on a comment that she made. She said, I often wonder what people think when they see us sending missionaries out all over the world, proclaiming to be the one true church and the one plan of happiness after they get a peek in on us having discussion amongst members of our faith. I bet we look really impressive when we're talking about food storage and service projects and how much humanitarian aid we've sent all over the world in our yellow shirts with the Helping Hands logo. But I think the true test of how the restored gospel of Jesus Christ shows up in the lives of the people who practice it, is what we look like when we're talking about things we don't agree on, things that aren't comfortable or easy. If we say that living the gospel is a difference maker, then that difference should show up in our engagements with each other. If we share an entire spiritual belief system, but when we talk about unshared political beliefs of our conversations start to look like CNN and Fox News had an illegitimate love child and let it loose on social media then what does that say about the gospel of Jesus Christ's ability to make us one? I was like, oh, Zandra, she's so good. Because like when we do have that pride that, you know, the way I think is the right way and everyone should believe this way, and I'm going to argue it out with somebody who doesn't believe the same way I do, then that pride can get us into a lot of trouble. And that's the kind of pride I think like that I would fall into, the the pride pitfall, I guess, that I would fall into. Not necessarily like, oh, I have such nice things because I really have that much nice things. I mean, I'm okay, but, you know, and so I think that was really interesting me to, to ponder upon that. And so as I was thinking about that and how intellectual pride kind of inhibits us from developing relationships with one another or causes us to create contention among each other, um, I actually saw an article that was from the New York Times. It was published in October of last year. And the article is called Be Humble and Proudly, psychologists say. And it goes on to talk about the trait of humility and how they studied humility and all these different people. And they find that people who are humble, number one, don't rate themselves as humble. Like somebody else has rated them as humble. They refuse to believe that they're humble. So, you know, they're humble even in that and saying that they're humble. And then they also find that these people are more likely to be open-minded. They're more likely to be less judgmental. They're more likely to be kinder to strangers. You know, I'm like, these are all traits that I think Jesus Christ would want us to kind of develop in ourselves. And so that to me this week, I was thinking a lot about that. Like what things do I hold on to because of my pride? And what things do I need to let go of because of my pride instead to kind of adopt humility so that I'm not in the same spot that the Nephites found themselves in that we're seeing here in 2 Nephi 26, you know? So I don't know. That I know is a little side trail, but that's just really what my mind was thinking on was thinking about Come Follow Me this week was about pride and how pride impacts me and how it impacts our church, right? Okay, so going back to 2 Nephi 26, 20. So because of the greatness of the stumbling block, which is pride, they have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and the miracle of God, and they preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning, that they may get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. 
21. And there are many churches built up which cause envyings and strife and malice. Okay, so I want to pause there. Pause. I think a lot of times when we read verses like this and it says churches, we literally think about like a building, maybe somewhere in your town, where people are meeting together and as a congregation and we're like, oh, that whole congregation, they are in trouble because, you know, they are preach their own wisdom and learning. And but here's the thing. I don't think Nephi is thinking of churches that way because Nephi back in the day, like they didn't have a steeple on every block like we do here in the South, right? They didn't have churches like that. They didn't have congregations like that. So I can't think that Nephi meant different congregations that think differently than we do. I think whenever Nephi says churches, he means a group of people who share the same ideology. Okay, so uh, they could be Baptist, Methodist, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They could be whatever religion they proclaim to be or whatever church they proclaim to be in. But if they believe unto themselves and lean onto their own wisdom that they may get gain, you know, they're in that church that he's talking about there. He's in the churches that are built up, which cause envyings and strife and malice. Are we members of that church sometimes? Yeah, we are, especially when we get on Facebook and fight with each other, right? And 22, there are also secret combinations, even as in times of old, according to the combinations of the devil, for he is the founder of all these things, yea, the founder of murder and works of darkness, yea, and he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord until he bindeth them with his cords forever. So I'm like, okay, so we go from having malice and envying to all of a sudden talking about murder. I'm like, that's kind of like a steep slope, right? But I mean, it's all kind of in the same general area, I guess. Um, you know, you start down that hill. hill I'm not saying like if you're prideful, you're going to go murder somebody. But I mean, it, it's all kind of on that side of the scale, right? I also think it's interesting that he leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord. So a flaxen cord is a thin piece of linen string that can be easily broken. So if I were to tie your wrist together with a flaxen cord, you could easily just like pull them apart and boom, you're you're okay. But he goes and he wraps that flaxen cord around our wrist and then wraps it again and again and again and again with other cords and stronger ropes. And then all of a sudden we're bound to him, right? And so that's why it's so important to watch for those little moments of pride in our lives and to let those little moments of pride go so that we're not bound to him, you know? Okay, let me read you another description of pride that I saw in this week's reading. This is from 2 Nephi 28. I'm going to start in verse 20. And behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men and stir them up to anger against that which is good. And others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security. And they will say, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. And behold, others he flattereth away and telleth them, there is no hell. And he saith unto them, I am no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. Yea, they are grasped with death and hell and death and hell, and the devil and all that have been seized therewith must stand before the throne of God and be judged according to their works, from whence they must go to the place prepared for them. Therefore, woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. Woe be unto him that crieth, All is well. Woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so interesting to me. Woe unto him that say that is at ease in Zion. 
Like, and that says all is well, especially because all is well is kind of like one of our phrases. You know, it's even in one of our hymns. And I don't think he means like, don't say that phrase. I think he's saying like, if you feel comfortable, like completely comfortable, like you're doing everything right, then something's wrong. You know, you need to have a little bit of conviction in your heart of something that you're doing wrong that you need to repent of because none none of us are perfect. If you think you've been perfect, then, oh, you're blind to something like there's something that you've done. I mean, I can think of something I've done even just today that I wish I hadn't done. You know, there's constantly mistakes that we're making. And so don't let yourself be eased into false sense of security that everything's okay. Like we constantly need to be watching for ways that we can improve and ways that we can become more Christ-like and more charitable towards others. Um, at least the, like I say this, like I'm talking to you guys, really, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, Lexi, you need to be better about being charitable and more Christ-like and loving to others. Don't just sit back and say, oh, everything's good. I got this. No, no, you're not perfect. You need to start working on this. So that's really what I saw when I was reading this week's um, reading the way that the adversary works. There are several other verses that talk about like, oh, we don't need a Bible and we don't need any more revelation. And that's actually something I see a lot in some of the congregations and some of like the conversations that I've had with members of other churches as I've grown up here in the South. Um, They told me like, we don't need another Bible. You know, it even says in the revelations not to add anything to it. And like, I just shake my head like, guys, you know, that was written before all like the epistles was written. Like it's, it's not in, even in chronological order, but okay, whatever you believe, whatever. Um, you know, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, why would he stop talking to men? If he's the same God that was in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that was leading and guiding and blessing men with revelation, why would he stop revealing stuff to them? Like, I am so grateful for modern revelation. It's one of my favorite things about our church is modern revelation and having a prophet who's able to receive modern revelation and lead our church using that revelatory skills. Like, that's one of my favorite things. And I love also that we have the privilege of having our own relationship with our Heavenly Father, that we can pray to Him and ask for our own revelation and create revelation for our lives and for our families and for our callings. I mean, what a blessing that is that our God is the same as he was yesterday and today and forever. And what a blessing it is to know that, yes, we have a Bible, but we also have a Book of Mormon. And there's other scriptures out there that we don't have yet, but I can't wait to get them. And then also constantly scriptures are being added by general authorities through general conference and things like that, talks and stuff like that. We're getting new words of the Lord to read. Like, that's really cool to me. So I don't know. I just, when I started reading this stuff, like a Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible. Like I literally could call up conversations that I had with friends about, we already have a Bible. We don't need anything else. So let's look at the opposite side because we've kind of been like a dark kind of yucky place talking about pride and Satan and stuff like that. So let's talk about Jesus Christ. I love talking about Jesus Christ. In 2 Nephi 26, the opposite of the way that Satan is going to be working in the hearts of men, we have Jesus Christ. And so in 23, it says, For behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. So there's nothing secret about the way that the Lord works. Um, I know even sometimes people will say, oh, but you have your secret temples and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Anyone can go to the temple you have to follow a certain strict, you know, behavioral pattern and you have to meet certain requirements, but anyone is available to go to the temple as long as you meet those requirements for a certain amount of time, 
right? We're not denying anyone access to the blessings of God as long as they are committed to him. So it's not necessarily secret. It's sacred, definitely sacred, but not secret. It's not in darkness. In 24, he doth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore, he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. So I love that too. He is trying to draw us in as much as he can. He's not turning anybody away. Everyone come to him. 25. Doth he cry unto any saying, depart from me? Behold, I say unto you, nay, but he saith, come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and buy milk and honey without money and without price. We come unto him and he gives us so much more than we could ever possibly think that we are giving up. Um, I heard a new song this week that I want to share with you guys here. This is a song called I Know by Big Daddy Weave. And this song really touched my heart a lot as I was listening to it. It's been kind of a hard week. I know I say that like every week, but the last couple months have been really difficult for me. Um, Health-wise, like I just cannot get over like this virus that I've been fighting for the last several months. And um, just some other stuff has just kind of thrown me for a loop. And um, I've just kind of been overly emotional, kind of just in a dark place. I was driving the other night and I was listening, as I do, to Christian music. And this song came on and it's new. And it really spoke to me. And it reminds me of this verse here. It says, this is the chorus. I know that you are good. I know that you are kind. It's talking about Christ. I know that you are so much more than what I leave behind. I know that I am loved. I know that I am safe. Because even in the fire, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I know that you are good. And that is, to me, what Christ is. It's what he's saying here. I'm good. I'm kind. I can give you so much more than what you're leaving behind when you come to me. That goodness and kindness is there. That love is there. And in the first verse of this particular song, he starts out saying, You don't answer all my questions, but you hear me when I speak. You don't keep my heart from breaking. But when it does, you weep with me. And I thought about that all the times that I have felt sad or I have felt misunderstood or I felt depressed or I felt hopeless or I felt frustrated and I've cried that literally my heavenly father and my savior are weeping with me like they understand and they're right there with me in that pain. Even if it's something stupid I've done to bring it upon myself, like they're still there with me feeling bad that I'm feeling bad too. And they're helping get me through it. And that just really touched my heart this week. So I want to go ahead and share this song with you. It's I Know by Big Daddy Weave. You don't answer all my questions, but you hear me when I speak. You don't keep my heart from breaking And when it does, you weep with me You're so close that I can feel you When I've lost the words to pray And though my eyes have never seen you I've seen enough to say I know that you are good You are so much more than what I leave 
hope you love that song just as much as I do. Okay, I'm going to kind of skip around and come follow me this week just because there were some sections that kind of spoke a little bit more to me than others. Um, the next section I want to touch on is the one that says, God continues to give revelation to guide his children. And like I already said, I am so grateful to be a part of a church that does receive that revelation, that continued revelation. And Come Follow Me says, as Latter-day Saints, we are blessed with an abundance of the word of God. So Nephi's warnings can apply to us. We must never feel that we have enough. As you read the warnings in 2 Nephi 28 and 29, ponder questions like these. How does the Lord want me to feel about and respond to his words? Okay, let's pause on that question. We're going to go into 2 Nephi 28, and we're going to read a little bit. We're going to start in verse 27. Yea, woe be unto him that saith, we have received, and we need no more. And in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he should fall. All right, so if any of you are doing Come Follow Me with your families, uh, wise men and foolish man, totally go along with that verse. Just saying. 29. Woe be unto him that shall say, We have received the word of God. We need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. For behold, thus saith the Lord, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth, I will give more. And from them that shall say, we have enough, from them shall be taken away, even that which what they have. Okay, so that was interesting to me. How does the Lord want me to feel about and respond to his word? He wants me to ask for more. He wants me to be glad to receive it. And to me, it was interesting there, especially in verse 30, where it talks about, you know, precept by precept. And as we continue to learn about the Lord and continue to grow in our spirituality, then we will be blessed with wisdom. And we will be blessed to receive more from him. And I think that's so true as I have found doing Come Follow Me this year, as I've really delved into my scriptures and made the effort to look beyond just like, oh, I'm just going to skim over them or whatever, like, but actually to delve into them, to think about them and think about how they apply in my life. The depth of what I'm getting out of them is so much richer than it was when I was kind of doing a surface level like study of the scriptures. And so it's really strengthened my testimony. And that's been a huge blessing to me to read the word of God and then to have a testimony of that building up in my heart as well. Um, That's a huge blessing to me. The next question from Come Follow Me, why are people sometimes angry about receiving more truth from God? And that is from 2 Nephi 28, 28 tells us, and in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. We just read this verse, but I'm reading it again, by the way. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. Okay, so interesting to pair these, this question about people who are angry along with this verse. It made me think about something. So anger, a lot of times actually stems from fear. If you have ever been really, truly like angry at someone, like just ticked off at someone, there's usually a fear behind it. And if you can identify that fear, you can find where that anger is coming from. Um, And I'll give you an example of this. This week, there was a situation at work where a child said something and I said the opposite of the child and a coworker took the child's side against me. And I was really angry at that coworker. I'm like, she doesn't have my back. Like, I can't believe she would say that. And I was just really, really mad. But then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, am I really mad at her? 
Or am I feeling insecure about my position in this particular interchange? Like, am I feeling like fearful, like I may not be in the right? Like, is that why I'm angry and kind of taking it apart? So I think a lot of times when we have anger, it's because we have fear. And so taking that in mind, when I go back into 28 and I'm looking at he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. So those who are angry because of the truth of God, I think a lot of times when we're angry because God has asked something of us, we know it's because we're afraid when we're angry. Maybe we're afraid because it's going to be hard. Maybe we're afraid because we know it's going to hurt. Or maybe we're afraid because it's going to be uncomfortable for us to change our ways. Or maybe we're afraid because we know what we're doing is wrong. You know, and those are some of the reasons I think that we get angry at God when he tells us to do something that we're, you know, not already doing, or he asks us to stop doing something that we are already doing. So to me, I was like, whenever I get angry at God, I need to stop and look at the fear. Like, what am I afraid of that's causing this anger? Am I afraid that I am doing something wrong? And that's why I'm getting angry at this new rule? Like, you know, or, you know, I guess, do you get what I'm trying to say? I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, what's the fear when I'm angry at God? What is the fear that's driving it? That's just what I I thought about with that one. All right. Next question. What does it mean to receive God's word? And how can I show him that I want to receive more of his word? Well, if we go back into the second Nephi 28, the one that we read that was like line upon line, precept upon precept, it means to receive God's word is means to plant it in your heart. You know, we learned from Alma that faith is like a little seed, you know, and it grows. And as we add our testimony to it, it grows more and more. As we receive God's word, our little testimony flower, I guess, grows and becomes stronger and stronger. And that's one of the things that I really love about Come Follow Me is I feel like it has helped my testimony grow and become stronger and stronger through God's word. And then how can I show him that I want to receive more of his word? Keep fertilizing that garden. Keep planting those flowers and those seeds of faith and watering them. And he will keep giving us other seeds to plant in our little garden of faith and to grow. And so receiving the new seeds that he gives us and planting it and saying, you know, more, Father, more, I need more revelation. Be there for me, Father. And he will. He'll be there for us. He'll give us the revelation that we need. That to me was just a really interesting section to think about this week. I really liked the questions that they gave there. It gave me some different things to ponder upon. Right. The last section I want to talk about is God prepared the Book of Mormon for our day. Nephi knew by revelation, even before the Book of Mormon had been completely written, that it would be one day of great worth unto the children of men. Why is the Book of Mormon of great worth to you? Think about this question as you read 2 Nephi 29 through 30. What are some of the marvelous works that God is accomplishing in the world and in your life through the Book of Mormon? Okay, so I started thinking about this. I was like, what is, you know, the Book of Mormon? How is it of great worth to me in my life? I think, honest and truly, it has really strengthened my testimony of Jesus Christ, especially as we have gone back in to come follow me last year. And we read the New Testament so thoroughly. And I recognized that... Well, I appreciate the New Testament and I appreciate the stories of Christ and I really enjoy learning more about the doctrine and things like that, that his visit to the Americas and to the Nephites, I think mirrors what my experience, I hope one day will be like him much more than the New Testament does. For example, the New Testament talks about people who lived with him, who were contemporaries of him, who grew up with him, who were in that society and learned at his feet, you know, because of that. And I don't know that I will ever have that experience. I know I won't have that experience of growing up with him, you know, having like him as a next door neighbor or whatever and in my community. But the Nephites 
who already had their communities and went through like trials and tribulations and great turbulence and mountains were falling and rivers and I mean, like crazy stuff was happening. And then he appears and he teaches them and he heals them and he heals their children. Like that is an experience that I might one day experience in my life. And so to me, that is a more personal witness of Jesus Christ, I guess, because I could see myself there and I can put myself in that spot better than I can the stories of the New Testament. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I also really appreciate that the Book of Mormon to me is much more clear and concise. I say that having just read like all the Isaiah chapters that felt like they were not clear and concise. But in general, I would say like 95% of the Book of Mormon is much more clear and concise than the New Testament and easier to understand than the New Testament. And that to me is of great value as well. Um, You know, I told you I was having kind of a rough week. And so earlier in the week, I mean, I... Okay, so this is so silly. This is me and pride. Again, you know, I struggle with pride, guys. So earlier this week, Monday it was. Uh, Monday's the day that my normal hairdresser takes off from work. So I knew she wouldn't be at work that day. But my hair was driving me crazy. And I just really needed a haircut. And so I was driving by one of those like walk-in places. And it said no waiting. And I'm like, yes, no waiting. I can go get my haircut right now. Like I really don't even need like a good haircut. I just need like a trim. Like my hairdresser does a really good job. They can just follow like the guide that she's got kind of going on. So I walk in. And there's this guy there and he's, you know, doing hair. And the whole time I'm like, what is he doing? He's not cutting my hair the same way my hairdresser does. He's like pulling it to one side and the other and he's snipping here and snipping there. And like, I'm like, this is like, what is going on? And in the end, I'm like, this is not what I want. He's like, oh, you want more volume on the top? He's like spraying all kinds of product on there to like get it to move mush up or whatever. And I'm like, I don't think this is right. And so I go home and I wash all the product out of my hair and I'm like, oh my gosh, he has just chopped my hair to pieces. And the soonest that my hairdresser could get me in to fix it was Saturday. So I had to live with this horrible haircut for four days, which pride, y'all, serious amounts of pride. Like, I realize I have serious amounts of hair pride. Like, that's what I learned this week. Um, Because, I mean, there were tears. There was so many tears over this stupid haircut um, this week. And it was really, really hard. Like I felt really ugly and just like not cute and everything was wrong and my hair was horrible. Like, I mean, I, I was really struggling with it. Um, again, I have serious issues with pride, hair pride. And so I went to my heavenly father and like heavenly father, I feel really bad about myself. I feel really bad about the way I look and I'm just really struggling right now. And I felt like what I needed to do was look in the topical guide and find scriptures in the book of Mormon about beauty. Well, so I go to the topical guide and I look up the word beauty and I look for scriptures in the Book of Mormon. And do you want to know how many scriptures about beauty are in the Book of Mormon? I'll tell you. There is one. There is only one time in the entire Book of Mormon where the word beauty is used. And here it is. It's in 1 Nephi 11.8. We've already read it this year. And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto me, Look. And I looked and beheld a tree. And it was likened to the tree which my father had seen. And the beauty thereof was far beyond, yea, exceeding of all beauty. And the whiteness thereof did exceed the whiteness of the driven snow. Well, if that doesn't put things into perspective, like what does? You know, at that time that I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, Heavenly Father, like I'm so sorry for being prideful about my hair. Because I realize now that the beauty that you see is the fruit of God. It's the love of Jesus Christ and how we manifest it in our lives to those around us. And that's true beauty, not a hacked up head of hair, you know? Um, And so 
It's moments like that where I can go to the Book of Mormon and receive that revelation so clearly and so personally for my own life that makes me really appreciate the Book of Mormon and what it does for me in my life and what it means to me. And there are several other times where I go to the Book of Mormon and I'm just like, oh, Heavenly Father, I feel this way. And I feel prompted to go to one scripture or to this scripture. And um, and it comes open and it's just such profound truths that it reminds me of like my relationship to my Heavenly Father and what He thinks of me and what He wants for me. And it does it more in the Book of Mormon than any other book of scripture out there. And so that's what the Book of Mormon means to me. It's a connection to my Heavenly Father that is personal, and it's personalized to me, and it feels much more personal to me than the New Testament or the Old Testament or any other book of scripture. It feels more personal to me because I feel like it was, you know, selected with our day and age in mind and our time that we're living in in mind, but then also because it was translated by someone who, you know, I mean, it was 200 years ago, but someone who fairly recently lived, you know, it's not old English. It's like fairly like newer English. It's easier to understand. And I don't know. I just, I love the Book of Mormon because of that, because it is personal and it makes my savior personal to me. It makes him not necessarily someone who lived 2000 years ago and walked around in sandals and ate, you know, fish or whatever, but makes it where he's someone who comes and visits and spreads love and wants me to spread love too. So I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. I've been thinking a lot about like, what does the Book of Mormon mean to me? And like, what are some of the marvelous works that God is accomplishing in my life through the Book of Mormon? And that's kind of what I came up with. Also, I feel like he strengthens me through the Book of Mormon. I feel like there's a huge spiritual boost that comes from reading the Book of Mormon. There's just a great spirit about it. And when you're reading the Book of Mormon, you get that spirit in your life. You know, I've testified about that multiple times here in this podcast. And, you know, Peter Johnson's talk from last conference talked about reading the Book of Mormon every day, every day, every day, because there you'll have the spirit in your life that will help keep you safe from the adversary. And I believe that that is a huge blessing that comes with reading the Book of Mormon. That is a marvelous work right there. So what are some of the marvelous works that God is accomplished, accomplishing in the world through the Book of Mormon? Well, I mean, we are seeing people all over the world joining the church because of testimonies of the Book of Mormon. You know, for the first time now, we have more members of the church outside the United States than we do in the United States. And I think that's a huge blessing as well to have that worldwide family and that gathering of Israel that's going on because of the Book of Mormon. People can read it and they can sense the truth of it. And that's what brings them to the light of the gospel. And so that's a work that I see that's being accomplished by the Book of Mormon as well. Okay, the last section from Come Follow Me this week that I want to talk about is down in the Ideas for Family Scripture and Family Home Evenings, down in that section. And it's the one from 2 Nephi 26, 12 through 13. And 2 Nephi 26, 12 through 13 says, And as I spake concerning the convincing of the Jews that Jesus is the very Christ, it must needs be that the Gentiles be convinced also that Jesus is the Christ and the eternal God, that he shall manifest himself unto all those who believe in him by the very power of the Holy Ghost, yea, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, people, working mighty miracles, signs, and wonders among the children of men according to their faith. Okay, so then Come Follow Me asks, what experiences could family members share with each other when their testimonies of the Savior were strengthened by the Holy Ghost? Um to me, I was thinking about this. I was like, when was my testimony really strengthened 
by the Holy Ghost. And the first thing I thought of just recently was this week, listening to that song that I played, the I Know song, and feeling the truth of that, that when I weep, my Heavenly Father weeps and my Savior weeps and my Savior is good and he is kind. And what he offers is so much greater than what I leave behind. You know, the truth of that was really manifested to me. And that's honestly why I love listening to Christian music, because I feel the Holy Ghost a lot of times testifying of Christ. You know, again, talking about other Christian denominations and stuff like that, they tend to have pieces of the puzzle that I think are absolutely true. We just have more, right? Because of revelation and authority and stuff like that. But they still have pieces that are true. And I can still feel the spirit and the Holy Ghost that are there in those pieces that are true. And so I really felt that this week. But I also started thinking about my life. Like when was like a time where the Holy Ghost really like help me feel a testimony of my savior. And one of the biggest times that I felt that was after my husband had left the church, I was really struggling. And I got to the point where I was having anxiety attacks at church. And it was really hard for me to get up every Sunday and go to church. Um, there were some Sundays where I, I would get up and go and I wouldn't even stay for sacrament meeting. I'd turn right around, and just head right back out because I could feel an anxiety attack coming. And finally got to the point where I could go and I could just take the sacrament. And that became my goal was to have that moment with my savior. And I felt the necessity of having that moment with my savior. And it was through those anxiety attacks. Again, y'all, God is so good because he takes the worst stuff in our lives to teach us some of the most profound doctrinal truths, you know, line upon line, right? And he took those anxiety attacks that I was having And he put the sacrament as my goal in the middle of those anxiety attacks. If I can just stay through to the sacrament, I will be okay. How perfect is that for our lives? If I can just stay true to my covenants of Jesus Christ, I will be okay. You know, that is what this life is all about, is making those covenants with Jesus Christ, renewing those covenants with Jesus Christ, and then sticking to them and holding on to them and letting those be our goal that we hold on to each week when we're in the middle of the anxiety and the turmoil of this life. Holding on to that, holding on to Christ. That was the testimony that I really gained during that time that the Holy Ghost really strengthened in my heart was the importance of the sacrament, not just to go and eat some bread and water, but the importance of staying close to my Savior and how he was able to get me through that. And it's interesting because at that same time, you know, we talk about a covenant being a two-way promise. And, you know, we promise our Savior that we will always remember him. We'll take his name upon us. You know, that's what we're promising with the sacrament. But the other part of that is that he will always remember us. And at that time that I was really struggling, I got to the point where I was like, I think I need to leave the church. I think I need to leave the church. I'm having too many anxiety attacks. Like it's just too hard. I can't do this anymore. And I remember pulling up to a stop sign in my neighborhood and the stop sign I was at had two possible paths. I could turn right and go one way or I could turn left and go another way. And I'm sitting there at the stop sign thinking like, I think it's time for me to leave the church. And I literally felt the covenants I had made with my savior during the sacrament. I felt them pulling me back. And all those weeks of me going when I was so anxious and so overcome with those physical symptoms of anxiety attacks, but making it through to take the sacrament pulled me back in. And my Savior was there and I felt the Holy Ghost and I felt the truth of him pulling me back in, his love pulling me back in. And that was such a strong witness to me, not only of my need to go take the sacrament, but that when I do, he remembers me. He comes back for me that he will always be there for me, and that I know that he is good, and I know that he is kind, 
and I know he is so much greater than what I leave behind. All right, and with that, I'm going to end this week's episode because I'm just going to keep crying, I think, if I keep going. So I hope you guys have an awesome week. Um, If you're new to The Savior Said... (laughs) I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Like, this is just me. Like, it's part gospel and part reality show, I guess. Um, But yeah, so I'm a hot mess, but I love my Savior. And that's kind of who I am. So I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you guys keep reading your scriptures this week. Keep following Christ. And I will see you here next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. 